Hi everybody, JP here. We're taking a trip to the archives today for an episode we previously recorded a few months back at the height of the coronavirus panic, originally intended to be part of our COVID 2020 miniseries. However, for technical and scheduling reasons, this episode never made it to air. The subject of the episode is the 2020-2021 match cycle and application cycle, and the guest is a current fourth-year medical student going through just that process. He shares his own perspective and that of his friends and classmates as they face a heretofore unseen scenario where shutdowns and travel restrictions are undeservedly impacting their match cycle, which is possibly the greatest single career and life-determining event that they ever have or ever will face. Personally, I can't imagine the stress these students are going through, and I do not envy them applying this year of all years. But I do appreciate this young man coming on to share his side of things, and I'm sure that you listening will as well. And I'll add to all of our listeners, whether you be students applying this year yourselves or residents and attendings on the other end of the process, feel free to write to us at neurosurgerypodcast at gmail.com to share your experiences as this process continues to evolve. So with that, let's get on to the show. Welcome to the Nurse Surgery Podcast. I'm Mike Wang, and I'm here with my co-host, J.P. Colson. We are here to discuss all things neurosurgical. Hi, this is J.P. Colson, a resident in neurosurgery at Rush University. Please note that this is not a CME event, and the opinions and statements made in this podcast do not reflect those of any institution or professional organization. Now, let's get started. Welcome to the Neurosurgery Podcast. Uh, Today we have another installation in our ongoing series covering the evolving coronavirus situation here in the United States. Um, Today we're taking somewhat of a novel angle on the situation and we're discussing the situation of third-year medical students interested in applying to neurosurgery who this fall, as new fourth-year students, will be going through the regular process of externships as sub-interns and eventually interviews. However, with the coronavirus pandemic changing things across the country, uh, we're going to explore how that's going to affect the sub-I and interview process this year for these students, and more specifically, how the students are reacting to it and kind of what their thoughts are. Um, Our guest today is Matt Lamb, a third-year medical student at Vanderbilt University. Matt, welcome to the Neurosurgery Podcast. Thanks so much for having me today. So Matt, you know, we're all busy and working, but I'm sure since this is your academic year um, being so dramatically affected, you're probably more up to date than uh, I am personally and maybe some of our other listeners. Why don't you just give us a sense of where things are right now and and what do you know today? It's uh, May 15th. What do you know today in terms of how this year is going to be different for sub-eyes? Yeah, so for neurosurgery specifically, Um, the specialty kind of came together and it was maybe about two weeks ago now, the Congress of Neurological Surgeons held a virtual town hall uh, moderated by Dr. Lola Chambliss. And the the Society of Neurological Surgeons kind of decided as a group to cancel all away rotations for um, medical students applying into neurosurgery this year. Um, Instead of that, uh, students are encouraged to 
do eight weeks of neurosurgery rotation at their home institutions. If they don't have a home institution, uh, they are then supposed to work with the deans of their schools and their departments to try and find the closest institution where they could do eight weeks of neurosurgery. Um, in light of this too, the recommendation letter uh, kind of recommendations or guidelines have changed a little bit. We're all encouraged to get one recommendation letter from a general surgery uh, clerkship or department um, just to help bolster it, it because people, uh, they know that people won't be able to rotate at as many places. Um, in addition to that, the AAMC has recently released guidelines that strongly recommend that all institutions do virtual residency interviews. I believe this applies to interviews for medical school as well as fellowships, um, but obviously it mainly affects me in terms of the residency interviews. And uh, we haven't heard really yet from individual institutions or specialties in terms of uh, what they plan to do regarding interviews, but that has been the recommendation that has been released. Sure. Now, Matt, so, you know, having kind of discussed how things are going to be different, I'm sure you and your friends there at Vanderbilt, if there's any other students going into neurosurgery or planning to, um, have been talking about all these changes. You know, the externship process was one of the most fun and informative parts of my interview process. You get to see a whole new institution. You get to go out there and kind of put yourself on display and, and prove your worth to a group of strangers, essentially, in the field. Um, how are you and your, your colleagues at school there reacting to these changes this year? Are, are you worried or do you feel like you'll get the experience you need with the extra time at home? Yeah, well, first, I feel pretty lucky that I have a, a good cohort of medical students applying into neurosurgery with me this year. So we've been able to kind of rely on each other for support um, and kind of talk through all of our different options and work together as a group to figure out what we will do at Vanderbilt. Um, I, I, I agree with you. I think the biggest concern of all of us is that we are we don't have the opportunity anymore to kind of physically go to these institutions, spend a month there, and really see how they are similar or different to our home institutions and kind of get a sense of what neurosurgery looks like at different places. I think that we all know that we'll get a great residency education at many different places. So it really comes down to uh, the feel of an institution, the other people, and the residents, and the faculty. And I think that we think there's really no better way for us to get that experience and really get that knowledge if we don't do the away rotations and spend a month there and really entrench ourselves in, like, the culture of a place. Um, additionally, you know, the, the in prospect of interviews being virtual kind of provides a similar concern in that if they are virtual, we really do have no chance of ever visiting any of these places. Um, and it's quite a daunting uh, prospect because we will be spending seven years at one of these institutions, training, spending most of our time in the hospital and working with all these different people. And most departments are fairly small. So you wanna make sure that you can get along with the people that are there and that they like you as well. And I think, you know, as much as institutions are working to uh, do things virtually and get show people their department and like try their best to reach students, I think it really doesn't replace the, the physical in-person feel. Um, 
it's not that I, I don't think the guidelines are correct. I think that, um, you know, these societies are kind of making the best recommendations that they can, given what they're seeing right now. And I think that this could all change, you know, within the next month, even or a few months. Um, but and so I think we understand why things are being done. It's just a kind of unfortunate, I think, for all parties involved, both the medical students applying as well as the uh, institutions, departments who will be uh, have, have these medical students as new residents. I think that it becomes quite difficult for both parties to really adequately assess what's the best fit um, for residency. So Matt, let me let me ask you a question about that because I'll tell you as someone who's you know involved in the selection side of things, you know I think it is very unfortunate. I think that you know obviously this was the one opportunity most people have to meet hundreds of attendings around the country. I know people always complain about the cost associated with it, but as JP indicated, this is one of the most special times in your life. And I remember interviewing myself and how important that was to bond with an entire class, not my medical school class, but the entire class of people that are now, my God, 10 of them are chairmen now out there. <laughs> so it's, it's really unfortunate. So I agree with you. So let me ask you a question from your perspective, uh, because uh, again, we are curious to know as programs uh, out there, where are you getting your information? Because if you can't actually go see a place or talk to someone who's seen the place, how do you really have an assessment of what's really going on in Miami or at Rush or at Stanford or Johns Hopkins? Like what, what is going to be your indicator of what's happening in those sites and what those programs are like? Yeah, I think that raises a really good point. And it's unfortunately not something that I think my fellow students and I have really come up with a good answer to. I think that, um, you know, our program director at Vanderbilt, Dr. Chambers, has been great in kind of providing support and giving us a lot of information and really uh, talking with us about programs as well, because she, she knows a lot of people at a lot of different programs. I think it's great that she has um, those personal relationships. In addition, I think that my plan really was to talk a lot with the residents uh, at my home institution talk a lot to uh, the fourth years who just graduated from Vanderbilt who are going into neurosurgery and most recently were on the interview trail. Um, I think that I, I, there were two fourth years that graduated from Vanderbilt uh, into neurosurgery and they both uh, created strong friendships with the other people that were interviewing with them as you kind of alluded to. And so I think, you know, even if they don't have a personal experience at a certain program of interest, they could probably uh, know someone or ask somebody else who may have interviewed or done like an away rotation there. So I think it's going to be a lot of talking to other people who have most recently gone through the trail and kind of uh, know what these programs are like. But of course, that also brings into the fact that not everyone is necessarily looking for the same things. Not everyone will have the same fit at a program. Um, so, of course, everyone's opinion who I talk to, I would definitely have to take with a little bit of grain of salt because they're not going to be looking at programs the exact same way that I might be. Um, I think that some, sometimes people have created relationships with other medical students, whether we meet them at a conference or doing other projects with uh, medical students at different, at different schools. And I think that those relationships are helpful as well to kind of try and get a sense of what their home institution might feel like. Um, but Matt, really... but Matt let, let me stop you there, Matt. Let me stop yeah. you. So 
you under, you you do understand that from the perspective of someone in your shoes, everybody you talk to is biased. So the, the advantage of being in the mix during the interview process is nobody knows where they're going. Everybody has their own inherent bias as a student, but you're mixing with hundreds or at least dozens of people, right? So you're getting a big, big sampling. So when you say you're going to talk to somebody who, who graduated from, from, from Vanderbilt, we know many of them here in Miami, those individuals have strong biases. For example, if they were treated badly in a program or they wanted to match in a program, but they didn't match, uh, they're going to have strong feelings about that. So how do you, as a person who's trying to be a neurosurgeon, distill all that out? Because if your sample size is so small that you have a handful of students, it literally becomes hearsay. And I'll tell you a funny story. The guy who invented uh, the whole process of this neurosurgery blog, it used to be called Uncle Harvey. His name was Kenny Liu. Kenny Liu was a USC medical student when I was a resident. Kenny is a great guy. I think he matched it in Oregon. And he started the, uh, the, the uh, basically it was like the neurosurgery blog, but it was called Uncle Harvey. And everybody would go onto this website in the generation that followed mine, and they would start to get information about programs. Now, this is when the internet was just getting going. And the funny thing was some schools, and I, I don't want to mention the places, the programs, but they actually assigned their residents. There's a New York program, the third and fourth years to police it. And so they would be on there. And if somebody says, well, you know, I rotated such and such and it kind of sucked, they would pile on. And if I could show you the, the content and many people listening will remember this, it was hilarious because they'd be like, oh man, you know, it's like they just destroyed that dude. It's like, you don't even know anything. You're a third year student. Let me tell you what's going on at this place. And of course they were beholden to that place. It's like, you know, it's like beating on the Patriots when you live in Boston. It's like such a, such a strong inherent bias. And then the programs around the country started to say, wow, we all have to come up with our own way of getting our residents on message to get out there and, 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 and flood the internet with information about how good our program is. So how do you as a guy, and you're, you're a Gen Zer, right? You're not even a millennial now. How do you guys get out there and get the right information and not get the biased information? Yeah, I, I certainly agree with you. And I think that that's a, a big thing that I have to keep in mind when I talk to people. I think that, um, you know, we, we try to look at information online as well. But I will be honest with you. I think even when we were deciding where to do away rotations, it was very hard to get information about what programs we may want to do away rotations at in terms of culture or fit or feel. And you're right. I think it is a lot of hearsay. Um, and again, I'm not sure I have a good answer for it. I think that truly I was looking forward to physically being in these places because even the places where I was set up to do my away rotations at before they got canceled, I had applied to them um, because of what other people, you know, in our department had told me about them. And they kind of aligned with what I kind of wanted uh, in a neurosurgery residency. And I was still really unsure, like uncertain about what would the experience would be like. And I was really excited to go see it for myself and experience it on my own. Um, and I, to be honest with you, I'm not sure there's many online resources like in the style of that blog that I can go to these days. Uh, so it's, it's a huge uh, area of uncertainty. And I think that, you know, it, it's... All the med students in the country may be in similar positions, and I haven't heard of a good solution yet to it. Um, and I think it, it, like I said before, is like a big loss for all parties involved. 
Yeah, and of course, it, it's especially uh, poignant when you're entering a field that, as you as you stated at the beginning, is such a long residency process. You know, you're not going to be matching somewhere just for two or three years and then changing towns for a job or for a fellowship. You're you're matching somewhere for seven years. That's such a significant investment that uh, you, you know you're you're losing uh, really meaningful information about when you still have to make a decision at the end of the day and submit your rank list. Um, one of the other interesting questions and discussion points I've seen both in journals and online these days is how are medical students spending this extra time while you know people are off rotations and students are barred from entering the hospital? Um, how have you and, and, and your fellow students in your cohort been spending this time, both in terms of trying to be productive, trying to prepare yourself for the season to come, and I guess as we've discussed, trying to gather as much information as you can um, from home? Yeah, I think it's definitely a weird balance um, to have. I We have been fortunate at Vanderbilt that the administration has put together some virtual class options for us. Um, and I'm currently on a virtual uh, neuroradiology course where I'm able to do a lot of cases online. Uh, so I think that lends itself well for a virtual learning environment. But it's certainly not the same as if I were in the hospital and actually there being able to talk to one of the radiology residents um, and really learn from someone in that setting. So uh, I think that being at home all the time kind of lends itself to a false sense of uh, maybe not being as productive. I know that from talking to some friends, it's been hard to like kind of fill all your free time. And I think that there are many different opinions on what the best thing is to do, whether it's to take some time for yourself or to be extremely productive in what you can do, like say clinical research or writing papers. Um, and so I think students have gone about it a variety of different ways. Uh, I, I know a lot of my friends and I have been kind of working on research stuff as well while we have the time and working with residents, attendings, and kind of getting a lot of that out of the way. But I think also, uh, we're also looking for ways to kind of still help in the community and kind of do what we wanted to do as medical students, really, um, and find ways to volunteer during this time and be of use. So I, I personally volunteered with um, our coronavirus hotline I volunteered a little bit with contact tracing uh, in the local community. Um, there are people who have volunteered with delivering food to people who don't have access or are unable to go to the grocery store. Um, and so there's been a lot of different volunteer efforts that have been organized by medical students. And I think everyone's really taken part in some way just to really uh, feel that connection again and kind of feel like we are being useful because I think it does become very difficult when we're not able to see patients, be in the hospital, um, and, and have that interaction. Well, that's great to hear that you're finding ways to be productive, not just for yourself and continuing your own training um, and information gathering, but to give something back during this time. Um, as we wrap up, Dr. Wang, I'd just like to throw it over to you. Now that we've kind of heard directly from someone going through this interview season, and kind of expressing the concerns and the experiences of this student cohort. From your perspective, as you said, someone who is on the attending side of things, the interviewer, 
um, in, in the coming season. Can you offer any advice to Matt and to the rest of his student cohort going into this unique interview season? Yeah, you know, I, I, Matt, I appreciate what you're doing. I think it's a great thing. You need to maintain a sense of community and involvement. I think one of the only ways you can do it right now is the volunteerism, right? So that's fantastic. But I will add another piece of this, which is I was, uh, as we were talking to Ed Benzel, right? JP, we interviewed him uh, last week, and he was discussing the absolute torrent of submissions to World Neurosurgery as editor. And, uh, you know, the people who are in this time, I, I find they basically fall into two general baskets. And this applies to attendings and residents too. There are some people who are utilizing this time period to continue to do all the things they did, like operate and as I did today, operate and do all these things and write more. And, you know, JP and I are doing the podcast more and being more active and proactive. And there, there's a large contingent of people, residents, attendings, and otherwise, who are taking this as a long vacation. Okay. And I can tell you that uh, I will personally judge someone a little differently on the back end of this, that if you had eight weeks of basically doing very little and you suddenly still only have two publications at the end of this on the next interview cycle, then that person is not really motivated enough to match at our program. In other words, in the past, you always had this sort of shelter that uh, or, or excuse that, well, maybe, you know, I was just too busy for four years, but now nobody has that excuse, right? Just like there's very little excuse for a lot of things now because you have so much free time. And I would say that if you were to look at this incoming class of uh, students that is going to be applying this fall, I think it's going to be a bimodal distri distribution, JP. I think you're going to see those folks who have 60 publications plus uh, who have, um, you know, what is it, uh, 275 on the boards or whatever it is now, right? I don't even know if they scored anymore. And, and that's another thing. If they don't score the boards anymore, wow, now the competition is going to ramp up on other fronts, right? So what I think is going to happen is that competition is going to just weed itself into these more narrow bands of definition, and you've got to differentiate. Because the reality is, is that, uh, you know, the desirable programs like Rush or, or other places that people want to match into – they're going to have their pick of the litter as well, right? So this is going to be a very interesting year. I mean, I'm going to learn a lot from this. I hope it doesn't become this new normal where it's like, well, everybody spent too much money on interviewing anyway, so let's just do Zoom interviews and then we'll end up with who we end up with. Because then we're going to end up, I'm going to be honest with you, kind of like general surgery where residents come in. We, and it's, it's headed that way anyways because we're, we're like, okay, it used to be one resident per year. Now it's like two, and then it was like three, and it was like four. So with four residents a year, actually, we can afford to fire a couple now. So that whole thing about neurosurgery residents can't be fired, that goes away. And then we go back to the pyramidal style, general surgery style, malignant style training programs of yesteryear. And I, I very much worry about that being the mission creep in sort of the new gen, uh, gen X, gen Z, millennial type of scenario where it's like everything's kumbaya till it's not so kumbaya, right? So that's kind of my very biased take on it as a very, uh, very uh, getting to be very old professor in neurosurgery. Great. Well, Matt, thank you so much for coming on the show and, and giving us a direct insight into the perspective of students facing this, again, very unique interview season. Um, I hope that the thoughts you've shared with us today resonate with our other listeners around the country, both the students for whom you're somewhat of a, a voice today, and those residents and attendings who will be meeting you and your cohort, perhaps virtually this year, um, helping them to understand where you all are coming from as we're all facing this, you know, one of a kind year. 
And uh, I hope that the advice that I and Dr. Wang have offered today helps you somewhat through this time. So Matt, thanks for joining us on the Neurosurgery Podcast. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Matt. Yeah, thank you guys for this opportunity again. And uh, it's really quite a pleasure to be able to talk to you guys about this. Thank you.